There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Anoush. And on this week's New Statesman podcast... We discuss the reshuffle. You ask us... Will the PLP unite under Keir Starmer if he wins? And that's all you're getting this week, folks. So it was a, you know, pretty minor reshuffle, all in all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so as, we, as we're recording, not all of the various posts have been filled, but it feels to me pretty safe to say that the two biggest things that have happened are the exits which are, well, I go, obviously, exit one is Julian Smith, Northern Ireland Secretary, and exit two that really matters is Sajid Javid resigning rather than having his spads become part of a kind of joint number 10, number 11 team, which has been the kind of, well, so there have been one of the kind of subplots of this reshuffle has been a kind of like general shrinking down of the number of special advisors, the removal of ones, you know, a kind of concentration, something they've planned for a long time, which I realised I, I wrote about a couple of weeks ago in the NS political column, is, you know, this idea that they're going to have more, well, the media spats will be concentrated. But yeah, so thoughts? Mm. I mean, for the record, we did let out a sort of collective shriek when Patrick announced that Saj had resigned. I, I yeah. just have to actually emphasize, it wasn't my scoop. I just spent a lot of time on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, he was right on it within I seconds. Saw, exactly. As, as with all the best tweets, I see them literally seconds after they're posted. Uh, yeah, and of course, I woke up to the news this morning, that not to reveal what time I wake up, but <laughs> Julian Smith had already been sacked by the time I woke up. So, you know, when people talk about grief and they say the best second of the day is the second they wake up before they remember, remember their loss. <laughs> and I, I, had a very, I had that in real time this morning because I woke up and I was like, oh, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> Julian Smith is still Northern Ireland Secretary. <laughs> Universally respected both at Stormont, across both communities, across the parties in Westminster and in Dublin. And then you get your phone out and you see Julian Smith thanking the people of Northern Ireland for their, you know, accommodation <laughs> and generosity. And I'll never be the same person again. <laughs> that was really moving. Yeah, it's a real... Um, I'm sorry for your loss. This is a, a very Northern Irish reference, but when George Best, one of our, our proudest sons, um, <laughs> passed away, Brian Kennedy, a local singer, I don't know if any of you know him, sang You Raised Me Up at his funeral. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think this is a real Brian Kennedy. You raised me up. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. understand what about Julian my hiring process. Yeah, you know, it's like the politics just being taken over by the Northern Irish. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, well, I, you know, you're, I, you're an honorary Northern Irish. I, I, yeah. I, I just, I'm just interested, which is, <laughs> which is worse in many ways. I mean, so it kind of just further kind of confirms my great granddad's belief that the rest of us would all become bad Jews. Like, I mean, like, really, I ought to have next time, next time, yeah, when, when, you know. When you all leave me for the Economist, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, in, in in all seriousness, the loss of Julian Smith it tells us two things. One, it's that a lot was made, including columns by good people here, about Theresa May had this sort of elephantine memory for grudges, which made her take counterintuitive and harmful political decisions. Now, we'll read a lot about the fact that the Tory backbenchers don't like Julian Smith slash. Theresa Villa's policy on legacy prosecutions because the idea of a new historical investigations unit goes back to 2015. There's a reason why a new system of prosecuting veterans has been in every deal to establish, restore, maintain power sharing because it's so important to both communities, a system with some semblance of fairness. So we'll read a, bit, a lot about that. Uh, and obviously the Tory backbenchers don't like that. You know, Johnny Mercer is very much mm. the minister for stopping the witch hunt. So, you know, when you have a government that has Johnny Mercer in it and uh, the policy of your government is to prosecute veterans, uh, something that Johnny Mercer thinks by itself is vexatious, even if the state prosecution service says there's a case to answer, something will have to give. So we'll read a lot about that. But also, Julian Smith, you know, was on the brink of resigning after Amber Rudd resigned in September, spoke out about uh, prorogation and other government decisions made on Brexit that he thought was harmful for Northern Ireland. So really, and, and the demands of the brief and the demands of the parties in Northern Ireland and the political you know, imperatives you have to abide by in terms of keeping devolution on the road, which was you know, basically why Julian Smith was appointed to the job to get it on the road, his successor won't be able to impose what the government wants by fiat if the government wants to maintain devolution in Northern Ireland. So, you know... The the next Northern Ireland secretary might come in and say some, you know, ambitious things about legacy prosecutions or some things about Brexit that the parties don't like. But we'll soon find that actually a degree of compromise, a healthy degree of compromise, is necessary if he wants to, you know, not become the viceroy of Northern Ireland, which is something Northern Ireland secretaries, as proved by the three years of drift without direct rule or devolution, do not want to do in this in in 2020. What does it actually mean for power sharing itself, though? Because I know that you've both, Stephen and, and Patrick, you've both written about the fact that although Julian Smith is written up as someone who sort of brought it back, it's not that's not really the reason. It was it was the sort of state of the two parties and their, their showing in the election and and other well, factors Albert, too. You were our sort of North Down correspondent during the election, mm-hmm. so. So in terms of what it means, I think that Patrick's absolutely right, that basically when, when Northern Ireland secretaries are good at their jobs, they end up taking us on a sort of apolitical role that's quite distinct from the rest of the government of the day, that you basically just need to be this person who understands the interests of all the different stakeholders in Northern Ireland. You bring a lot of personal charisma, a lot of dedication. You need to get really dug in in the communities. You need to spend a lot of time there to understand the brief and the interests of people on all sides to develop their trust and then to get things done. And, you know, in some ways, Julian Smith was reminding me of Mo Molum. You know, I mean, she was a uniquely charismatic politician. I met her when I was three years old. <laughs> I've never forgotten it. <laughs> you know, I barely remember it because I was only three. But, um, you know, someone like that, you know, takes on this sort of unique 
role in Northern Irish political life. And I think that's just what you have to do in the job. And, mm-hmm. you know, as Patrick says, to do a good job, you can't act like the Viceroy of Northern Ireland. You know, it's a different thing to balance all those interests. So in terms of power sharing, I mean, that's back up and running. The live question is how this impacts on the Brexit negotiations, probably, because... I mean, the government of the Republic of Ireland is still in flux. You know, Leavra, Kernco are still, in theory, the caretaker government. That hasn't been fixed yet, and negotiations might take quite a while. So, like, there won't be a strong Republic of Ireland voice on this, maybe for a while. And the negotiations are due to begin in March. And then there will probably be a Northern Ireland secretary who doesn't understand the issues and the complexities around the border in the way that Julian Smith did slash does. And in a very real sense, in terms of, yes, power sharing is back up and running and ministers are in the executive, etc. But they've all agreed to go in because they were assured, the, 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 the deal the two governments put forward had, among other things in it, the Historical Investigations Unit for Legacy Prosecution. So if Brandon Lewis, mm. I mean, by the time this podcast goes out, Johnny Mercer will not be the Northern Ireland Secretary. If he is, you know, buy tin food. Uh, <laughs> buy tin food and, you know, shut down every mm. court in in Northern Ireland, in the same way that, you know, when Trimble didn't deliver decommissioning, the whole thing, the, the wheels came off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's entirely plausible that, yes, everything is hunky-dory now, but if over time the deal signed by the parties last month proves to be undeliverable, undelivered, and the government is unwilling to, to facilitate that, you might see the UUP and the SDLP pull out of the executive or, you know, in more drastic circumstances, Sinn Féin, or it might stagger along to the end of its mandate in 2021. And after that, it might be incredibly difficult to form a a new executive because if you have a government that's unwilling to legislate from Westminster for new legacy proposals, then... The other element of this is that the the border issue is not resolved, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is the kind of like the the kind of, I can't believe it's not the original flavour backstop, as it were, of uh, having a border down the Irish Sea, has been agreed in principle, but the actual policy, so the kind of detailed level of, okay, so there are some customs and regulatory checks down the Irish Sea, exactly how many will there be and how will they work and where will they be and all of that kind of thing, has all got to be resolved. Mm. And that will be a continuing part of this next stage of the Brexit talks, and that again is something with the ability to impact upon upon the future of power sharing and the sort of Brexit aftermath. Kind of now, in many ways, that is far and away the most well. They're both really important developments, but I think the slightly easier thing about that one is we can quantify it. We mm. we know what the consequences of Julian Smith being sacked are. Mm. We don't know what the consequences of Sajid Javid deciding to walk out rather than lose his his spads. In many ways, I think it does represent quite probably the biggest change since we were governed in how we're governed since devolution came in, because it does fundamentally alter, I think, the relationship between the Chancellor and the Prime Minister, as well as the loss of other spads that's been prepared for a long time. But, you know, Anoush is kind of our sort of social policy person. I mean... How big of a change do you think it is going to be in terms of the looming budget than there is? Yeah, now? I mean that's what that was my initial thought was the budget is so close and to lose a chancellor, especially one who's been in place for long enough to sort of define the government's economic agenda has gone. So what does that mean? Usually civil servants speak of the treasury as the sort of like, you know, sensible parent who's like nice idea but you can't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. That's gone away. 
if what you're saying is right, Stephen, that the this is like a big breach in the in the traditional relationship between the Treasury and Number Ten, and how the Treasury sort of basically acts as a control for the other government yeah. departments. If that's finished, that means that basically Boris Johnson's spending whims or other whims, tax cutting whims, maybe they they can just be enacted now. So what does that mean for for the budget? It means it will look really different to the one that we were expecting, which I thought was going to be a sort of business as usual austerity without the word kind of budget, with a few retail kind of spending commitments that they'll somehow push through without any power to raise raise revenue. Yeah, I think for me the interesting question is that Rishi Sunak, uh, the new chancellor, yeah, one of the reasons why he was being raved about in Downing Street, and I think people who who overread. Oh, you know, Dom didn't get in his way on high speed two. He didn't get his way on Huawei. I mean, one, it's not actually clear where he was on the Huawei issue. Have kind of gone from going, oh, this means Dom Cummings is on his way out, to oh, this means Dom Cummings runs everything else. Well, actually, the reality is Dominic Cummings is an influential advisor who the prime minister listens to some of the time. Yeah. But I think the central issue here was the one of the reasons why Sajid Javid was more vulnerable than chancellors tend to be is that there is in Rishi Sunak someone who obviously could do the job, who, although many Treasury civil servants are slightly taken aback by what's happened, they have no doubt about Rishi's competence. And that did mean that he was able to go, well, look, if you don't like it, there's the door. Whereas often a prime minister, not actually for political reasons, but simply for it's a difficult job and you can't find someone else to do it reasons, can't do that. Mm-hmm. But it's not like Rishi Sunak is, you know, a, like, make it rain. no. Well, he's the, he's yeah. the last. He's the second win for the Osbornites, right? Yeah. He was an Osborne protege who got a seat in 2015, and in a weird way, you know, the Osborne ascendancy hasn't stopped because George Osborne and David Cameron have left Parliament. You know, you have people like Bim Afalami, Lucy Fraser fits into this category. Yeah, as Lucy well, Fraser right? is a, a who Osborne are, protege. Who are, yeah, ex- exactly. So, in a in a weird sense, yes, if he if the Treasury is now becoming a partially or wholly owned sub- subsidiary of Downing Street in a way it hasn't mm. been for a for a while, then his not making it rain instincts, which aren't sort of as ideologically I guess the 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 essay question is what does Rishi Sunak does Rishi Sunak have a an abiding ideology or in the same way that Sadi Javid does, I think we can probably say he's not quite as religiously randian as it were. Not that Sajid Javid's record as business secretary bears that out, but you, you know what I mean. Mm, like, mm. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, What will a Rishi Sunak budget look like with only a month to deliver it? Because if you look at the overarching changes, it does look as though that power struggle between the Treasury and, and Dining Street over what will be in the budget, what they can spend on and can't, has just been won by Dining Street and that they're going to be sharing their advisors and that, as and you were saying, Anish, the sort of typical checks and balances that the Treasury puts in place to ensure sort of sensible spending mm-hmm. won't be there. But then I just find this quite interesting that you're saying that, you know, he's he's highly competent and would broadly share Sajid Javid's instincts on this on not, not making it rain. To what extent do you think he's going to just deliver the, the budget that Downing Street want? Or to what extent will he have agency, do you think? Well, I mean, I think that is sort of the known unknown, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the thing that, yeah, the thing that, preoccupies Sunak as preoccupied Sadie Javid as it preoccupies whenever you talk to basically whenever you talk to any economically minded conservative and indeed actually when you talk to you know including people who you describe as quite Corbyn-y on the on the on economics within the parliamentary Labour Party and beyond they go well look in the event of the next financial crisis interest rates basically cannot be any lower than they are now so that particular fiscal stimulus is out so you're going to have to borrow a lot more mm-hmm. and so like well so that means you have to be continually paying the debt down outside of a bad economy otherwise you end up in real difficulty when you need to borrow more 
I guess the one thing is, is so the reason why why what's happened today with Sajid was such a shock was not that it was a shock that Downing Street wanted to have more control over Spads. We knew that that was a... It's that the reason why Sajid Javid was Chancellor of the Exchequer is that he was the guy who would say, I know I have free market views, but actually I'm willing to to align with you on spending, mm-hmm. which is why Liz Truss, the first person to endorse Boris Johnson, has ended up being, you know, at the... Department of International Trade, which is now responsible for no actual international <laughs> trade. Like, ironically, the kind of the last advocate of like you know offshoring and open markets basically is now the departmental minister in charge of a nameplate. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and I guess the, the question is, it's one thing when you're chief sec and you can kind of slightly make eyes at Downing Street, being like, oh, aren't I reasonable? Don't aren't I kind of very clever and urbane? It's quite another when you're actually the one standing up, going debt. What's wrong with more debt? Yeah, well, that's, yeah. the, that's the interesting mm. question. Whether Sunak would have been promoted, given that Alex Sharma got base, which was a department we were told was going to be beefed up and turned into some super mm. industrial strategy department. But in a sense, was Rishi is Rishi Sunak doing going to be doing in this new sort of merge number ten, number eleven team, the thing that he was sort of doing already, which was being number ten's man in number eleven. You know, he he mostly mm. did the spending review. He was very much aligned with Downing Street in ways that Sajid Javid wasn't. So really, is is this just, you know, the de facto situation bumped up to de jure and Downing Street's hold over the process is, is solidified? It's an interesting question. And this is the interesting thing about, about reshuffles in general, that they make the plan, you know, on their big whiteboard with all the magnets and begin the day with a plan for how the government will look at the end of the day. And then you run into difficulties whenever someone upsets the apple cart basically so like if the second someone resigns or doesn't want to take their new job or doesn't want to accept the conditions then you run into difficulties so they must have thought it was there was some chance that Sajid Javid wouldn't accept those terms but Dominic Cummings did sack some of his spads before and he you know he kicked up a a bit of a fuss but obviously not enough to resign over it Mm. so I don't know you know was this a real contingency plan Rishi Sunak will be chancellor we'll see how this goes it's hanging in the balance or was there a plan for Rishi Sunak elsewhere yeah Yeah. well I think because I think the other interesting thing is right is that in every reshuffle there's yeah whether it's a government one or an opposition there's always someone who gets sacked and you're like what's what's that about and I think for me the one where you're like that's a bit weird isn't it is Chris Skidmore who was known to yeah known to be someone who had you know the favor of Michael Gove who has been doing lots of quite interesting kind of Johnsonian adjacent urban regeneration stuff you know, loyal, and also is only, you know, 40, right? So you'd kind of go, or I think he may not even be 40, but, you know, he's, yeah, he's a young person who is a kind of promising minister. And that was very much like, oh, that's a bit odd. Mm. Um, And then the other one, which was also in that kind of bracket, was Nusrat Ghani, who was like, oh, that's also a bit odd. One of the things I semi-wonder about one or both of those roles is, is, High Speed 2, of course, has gone ahead since the last time we we forded meat. Of course, High Speed 2 has now got this attached minister whose job it will be to report to the Commons and basically kind of go, you know, don't worry, I'm making sure there's money for value for money, which, I mean, basically is short of there being a minister for... I know actually I genuinely cannot imagine a minister I would be less inclined to take if I were a young, ambitious Conservative, seeing as your job will basically be to stand up in the Mm. House of Commons and go... Oh, I hear that uh, <laughs> one of your villages has had everything compulsory purchased in it. Well, no, I'm afraid not. my honourable friend is not going to get anything from me from that. I mean, it's basically a job for never having a future at yeah, the top or, of the or, Conservative or, Party. Or it's a mm. job for getting up and saying, hi, we're going to have to spend another £20 billion because 
50 of my colleagues have demanded successfully that we tunnel under their villages yeah. uh, and not knock them down. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's lose-lose. You either, you, you either <laughs> It's either strike really a, expensive. Yeah, it's either really yeah. expensive, thus you anger the... And what You're I not think keeping is, the costs down. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. What I think is interesting, so Nusrat Ghani was someone who was repeatedly being tipped as a, a possible holder of that high-speed two-roll. And if you were to name junior ministers who had a good record of delivery and who therefore I thought were competent to do this job... I would have named two of the ministers who everyone went, oh, that's a bit weird, they've been sacked. And I don't wonder if we may, when this, when the dust settles on all the posts, notice that quite a few younger people have clearly gone, been told it's this or nothing, and gone, hmm, I hmm. think maybe I'll take my chances on the backbenches <laughs> rather than being the, man, the minister for, I'm afraid, high-speed two has become <laughs> more expensive. That, that, might, mm. that might just be an entirely sort of false conclusion, but I am really intrigued as to how they're going to find someone to do what is going to be a horrible job. Yeah, before we move on to other things, Anoush, Therese Coffey, who slightly surprisingly was being tipped for the exit, seeing as she is, you know, A, a woman, and B, competent, which... <laughs> Oh. It's a small bit of the Venn diagram. Right? Yeah, 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 in terms of the Venn, yeah. I don't so that, that, sound, that sounds awful. What I mean is the Conservative Party, uh, women are so underrepresented in the Parliamentary Conservative Party and at the upper echelons of government and good ministers are hard to find. Yeah. No, not that it's, a re- it is. Not yeah, that yeah. it's rare for women yeah, to be yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't worry, we did all think you were like, oh, women ministers, they're like women drivers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, women drivers are good, that's why they have um, uh, the insurance thing. I know nothing about cars, but you know. <laughs> well, as someone who crashed their car twice when they were a teenager, that's... Anyway. But, you know, anyway, so I thought it was a bit of a surprise that Therese Coffey was ever being talked over someone who was going to be sacked. Yeah. But, yeah, Anu, so what's the kind of, like, you know... What does that mean for for welfare and the agenda? Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because obviously we know because we spoke about it on a previous podcast, but they've thought that they'd take the political hit for delaying universal credit again, which costs money and also makes it look as chaotic as it actually is. But there's also been an interesting programme on on the BBC about universal credit going inside the department, inside job centres, so clearly signed off by a department that has never so far wanted to speak openly about the system before and that that filming took place under Amber Rudd's time as Secretary of State there so it is you know out of time but it just shows that there's a completely different mindset in the department and approach to how it's communicating itself to the public which I think is so interesting because that's usually a sign that they're like okay we really do need to concentrate on on making this work now because normal people have noticed that it's not Mm. Um, and as someone mentioned I can't remember I was reading a piece about it about how universal credit is yet to roll out in a lot of these new seats that the Conservatives have won, even though the people who might be going on universal credit in those seats might not necessarily have voted for these new MPs, it's still going to affect the social and economic fabric of those areas because, you know, it's millions of people and, as we know so far, there's nightmares and horror stories every time it's rolled out in a new area. So it could be a sign that they want to get serious on universal credit. One of the main complaints from people in that department that you always hear is that they've had so many different secretaries of state mm-hmm. people always and, and and heads of universal credit as well people always moving around moving out of the job being sacked etc so continuity is another sign of intent i, and, I hope and especially there's, there's a really revealing there's a really revealing interview with jason stein one of amber rudd's former spads in a recent edition of a morning email that isn't Stevens, uh, <laughs> and thus is no, nowhere near as good. Rubbish. In which he said, and, and this is quite revealing. He said something like, "You know, there was a rumor ahead of the last reshuffle Amber Rudd took part in that we were going to get something even worse than the WP." Mm-hmm. And that sort of mindset 
you know, some briefs are less glamorous than others, but what you someone implementing UC doesn't want, and in the same way as the NIO yeah. doesn't want a minister turning up going, oh, this is a hospital it's pass, and this is a yeah. basket case, and, you know, I'm, yeah. I actually want to get out of here immediately. So, you know, it's good. Continuity is good, as you say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us! So the question this week comes from James Elder. Assuming Keir Starmer wins, will the PLP be reasonably united behind him? Who might be expected to go from the backbenches to the front and vice versa? We're going to slightly cheat and also use this to talk about the first televised hustings of the campaign, which Alva, you were up watching as it Mm -hmm. aired. What were your impressions of it? Well, so to answer the the first bit of that question, or the second, the, the question about how the PLP will, would react to him becoming leader, my impression is that Labour MPs don't really know where Keir Starmer really stands on things, but they're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, long story short. I don't know if you agree, but that's certainly my experience talking to Labour MPs. So people on the right of the party say, you know, in some cases they say that they've never spoken to him and he hasn't reached out, which they're bitter about um but um also that they they don't really know like there's a sense that maybe he is being pragmatic and appealing to a membership that overwhelmingly backed Corbyn's policy program that he's being pragmatic by getting behind that and sort of in in those ways you know showing continuity but they you know I think they hope that maybe on the inside he's he's closer to them than he initially appears and he'll change in office they're wrong um yeah well so this is what because Patrick you're working on a longer profile of Keir Starmer and that's what that's I think the question you know does he believe what he's saying but in answer to the uh, the PLP thing I think everyone is willing to give him a chance even though I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? If people feel like they don't know where you stand on things and are hoping that you'll turn out to be different or to be... And then on the left of the party, hoping that you will deliver on what you've been saying. I mean, someone's going to be disappointed. That's really true. I think it's it's definitely telling that those MPs who've either A, been disappointed by Rebecca Long-Bailey's campaign or B, were backing Jess Phillips and, and she dropped out... It's, it's telling that both of those types of MPs feel like they can lend their support to Keir Starmer, even if they're, you know, a little bit reluctant about it and they don't really like, you know, they're, they're not giving very full-throated endorsements of him. They're still sort of, like, willing to put their name behind it. Yeah, it's also, I mean, I, I bumped into someone in the House of Lords and they said, they said, you know, do you know what Keir Starmer's parliamentary coalition reminds me of Tony Blair's? They said, except we all knew at the time that we were backing one of the most right-wing people <laughs> in the BLP. They yeah. said, where is here with this? There is this kind of weird element of just like, who, what's inside the box? Which, I mean, what I, what I think is really interesting about it, and I thought was interesting about the Newsnight hustings, right, mm. is that Keir Starmer's actually now been quite explicit about his policy positions, 
But everyone's kind of like, oh, well, he's fighting a canny campaign, so, you know, who knows what it is. I mean, I, I myself have written that. Where, like, he's kind of like, he's become coded as shifty, almost. So, mm. like, so basically, the PLP, trade union movement, even a lot of members who are backing him are basically like, oh, well, you know, who knows what Keir really thinks? Like, we, kind of everything is kind of heavily sort of asterisked. Mm. Yet, fascinatingly, right, Becky Long-Bailey is interestingly the only one who is explicitly going by the way some of these policies will go mm. I will not yeah like <laughs> yeah. <free movement laughs> will have ended yeah okay thanks bye but everyone's kind of like well she's basically continuity while like Lisa and Andy's whole shtick is basically to like say we should be honest in the same way people clear their throat like we should be honest and then just to repeat and she'd do the same thing as Keir mm. and like it's just fascinating to me how they're because it's like they've all got such strong brands not among the public as a whole but among the people covering it then everyone's kind of sort of gone like, oh, yeah. But I think among the PLP, there will be this, well, they, like everyone else, will be like, what's in the box? Mm-hmm. And I think some people will fall away after the first reshuffle. Some people will be pleasantly surprised. Some people will be horrified. I think in terms of what it's going to do to the PLP, we'll see a proper factional realignment in a meaningful sense, right? Because for the past four, five years, bloody hell, well, four, it was September 2015, wasn't it? You just had Corbynites, Corbyn sceptics, marriages of convenience within the latter group whereas this time I think we might and correct me if I'm wrong because it was before my time and you actually covered it Stephen Anoush but we'll have quite a big payroll pro leadership faction which sort of supports Kieran and what he does then you'll have a capital R capital C real concerns faction which I think this time will be led by Stephen Kinnock rather than Simon Danchuk so you know real concerns with a human face uh Wow, I like Simon Danchuk. <laughs> well, no. So I actually, well, no, sorry. We do. Yeah, actually, no, we did like Simon. I, we so. did. We yeah, did. We I, did. I, I, there's actually, there's I, no point trying sorry, to get out of it. That's yeah. unfair on Simon Danchuk. He gave a lot to the NS. No, I had a very, a very interesting conversation with recently, and he's, a, and he's a good conversation. What I mean is, you know, a, a face you, not that Stephen Kinnock would ever admit to this, that, but that you might see in, on an upper, in an upper street coffee bar. Uh, <laughs> um, then you will have a campaign group of about 30 MPs who might outflank Starmer to the left and then you have the you know the love socialism hate Brexity bit of the mm. campaign you know your Nadia Whittams your Zara Sultanas who are you know carving out niches very effective backbenchers on you know hot button issues like migration where if Starmer is going to triangulate he's certainly not done it thus far and if you know Nandi has a senior role in the shadow cabinet those are pain points on which you'll you'll hear, you know, members of the backbenches potentially make trouble from from all directions. Well, actually, Anoush, I wanted to ask mm. your sort of recollection on that because I feel like one of the one of the, I think so. I think you're basically right, Patrick. And one of the slightly odd things about the Ed Miliband era is, I mean, I guess as embodied by the fact that Ed Miliband won the leadership in which you had a candidate officially of the Brownite machine in Ed Balls, and when he lost you had a candidate officially in the brownite machine of Yvette Cooper and this is the first leadership campaign since Tony Blair left office in which there is no recognisably Blairite or brownite candidate from an organisational perspective right like Jess Phillips may have been a candidate of new labourites but she herself was was not a new, was not a new person. labour person right yeah yeah um and it, it feels to me that there were never any sort of new factions in the Ed Miliband era there were just this kind of like weird interim thing yeah yeah it was really difficult for people who like to name factions wasn't it because even at the time people were still using the Blairite Brownite labels yeah I suppose we used the expression soft left a lot more back then than even now (laughs) (laughs) so I guess that was kind of the 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 faction that was reigning the party in that Mm. period but there wasn't really 
there were people who you would you would label Blairites who would you know brief against Ed Miliband privately but we're in a different era now of factions yeah. you know, people yeah. will be open about and what I they think feel. what will happen is there'll be essentially there'll be a kind of yeah there'll be a and it, what I think you think is I think you're right and there will be a kind of like real concerns we need to you know uh, listen to towns so here you're not you know you need to hear the concerns of people who eat gravel um yeah so Stephen Kinnock yeah but, Hull not Hoban or, uh, yeah, yeah but that type of thing won't its leader be Lisa Nandy I mean, isn't that essentially the, the de facto consequence of her leadership bid? Is well, she has become the lead? She. It's interesting. There are, t- there are. T- I guess there are a number of. Re- you know, it's like saying Richard Bergen isn't running for deputy. He's running to be leader of the campaign group. You know, leader of the Benite resistance, as it were, in the next parliament. Is Lisa Nandy running for? Well, she's running for the leadership in a, in a literal sense, and although those hopes are ebbing, you know, you might say there's a narrow but semi put Well, there's not anymore. But you know, three weeks ago, we we would have said mm. there was. Even if she takes a, shadow, a senior job in the shadow cabinet, will she, I suppose she still can lead that faction from within. Yeah, because that's the thing. Isn't mm. it? You know. Unless, I mean, could she do that if she was shadow chancellor? Is is she at all likely to be shadow chancellor? I mean, I, just, I think Keir should make a shadow chancellor, but I probably not. I, this is going to make Anushin I seem really old, but I just feel like that was a bad idea when Alan Johnson was made shadow <laughs> chancellor, and yeah. it remains a bad idea now. Like it's a Lisa Nandy knows more about economics than Alan Johnson. What does she know about economics? When she's she's never held an economic brief ever. I just I just think in general, right? Like it's like that that job is really hard. I I think it will go to someone who's been a finance minister. Yeah, like whether it's you know someone we've all kind of semi forgotten, like Stephen Timms or Angela Eagle. Stephen uh, Timms is not going to be shadow chancellor. Yeah, why not? I mean, he was chief secretary to the treasury. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then I love Lisa Nandy too. He needs, so, it needs to be a woman, I think. I just think that that it feels to me quite likely that they will go for someone who has got some form of treasury, whether it's shadow treasury or treasury experience, and then the other two will be the things that Keir uses to balance. Yeah, like to balance mm. and, and reward various people depending on you know which bit of the mystery box turns out to be inside. You know on. But I think, you know, one of the slightly odd things about that era is that now, right, I can't think of the last time we had a piece on the New Statesman from a Labour MP where we had to do a blog afterwards explaining what it meant. I don't mean that (laughs) kind of like because they were badly written under Ed Miliband, but because, uh, well, they weren't more badly written than they were. (laughs) No, 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 that's that's one continuity of the party um, that we can say for sure. But but in that... In, they they meant coded things like sure. Like, yeah. if, you, if you imagine, say, like, um, so let's take you know who are like the most interesting writers in terms of people in the PLP, Bridget Phillipson and Shionmura, yeah. right? Yeah. You yeah. don't now have to be like, hmm, what Shionmura means when she says this is she just says it, right? Because yeah, because they, they just say it. Yeah, about. they just say it, right? Yeah, yeah. Ditto. You don't have to it's be different. like, hmm, what's what's the code going yeah. on when Bridget <laughs> Phillipson says that the 2017 election result was masked by Theresa May being awful? Like, there's no whereas. Under Ed Miliband, you had to... I mean, even... Do you remember the under Ed Miliband, thanks to Ed Miliband code? So MPs would say, who didn't like Ed, they'd be like, under Ed Miliband, we have a lead in the polls. As in the same way as in, like, you might be like, (laughs) under Stephen Bush, the new statesman has continued to sell copies. He has little to do with it, but you have to accept (laughs) then yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, like, whereas, like, thanks to Ed Miliband was like the, you know, like... (laughs) And Ed Miliband is actually responsible. All of that (laughs) stuff will come back, right? You know, like, if it is Keir, right? So you will have kind of people just being like, you know... I love our shadow Home Secretary, Louise Haig, which will be a coded way of being like, but I'm concerned that the leader is a wet blanket. (laughs) I adore the, you know, the shadow Foreign Secretary, which will be a way of saying the shadow Foreign Secretary is at odds with the Home Secretary, or or whatever, all of that kind of stuff. That stuff will probably come back. Yeah, Yeah. so it'll be great for the new statesman. Yeah, good for business. 
You've been listening to the New States and Podcast with me, Stephen Bush, my colleague Anusha Kellyan, our political correspondents Alva Ray and Patrick Maguire. Our music is Devil by the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. It's recorded by Emily Bootle and produced by Nick Hilton. If you're enjoying the New States and Podcast, or if you're not enjoying the New States and Podcast, there is a survey of our listeners, so please do keep an eye out for that on our social media channels and you can feed back to us and then the responses will be carefully anonymized so that we don't hunt you down and uh, beat you to death. But yeah, please do fill it out and have a wonderful weekend. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 